When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to The Reinvention Project with Jim Rome Podcast. Welcome to Episode 74 of The Reinvention Project with Jim Rome. If you are new to this pod, thank you so much for stopping by and giving it a spin. And if you're already a listener, let me reiterate how much I appreciate you committing your time and energy to it. Thanks so much. Now, I am going to change up a bit and go Flashback Friday on you. If you're a frequent listener to this pod, maybe you've heard me talk about our kids. My wife Janet and I have two sons. The younger, Logan, just started at the University of Colorado Boulder, which is pretty precipitous, right? With Coach Prime coming on the scene. Our older son, Jake, graduated this past spring from the University of Wisconsin and is currently in Madison working at a production company, doing great and getting some amazing experience. In fact, Janet is visiting Jake as we speak, and Logs is probably getting blasted, Urgh, uh, preparing for his first set of midterms. Truthfully, though, we could not be more proud of both these kids or love them any more than we do. So I've also mentioned on this pod that one of my proudest moments ever, and I mean not just in my career but in my entire life, was being the commencement speaker at Jake's graduation from the School of Journalism and Mass Communications at UW. I've also mentioned that as great a day as that was for me to speak at our son's graduation, it might have been an even bigger day for Janet. After all, she got to see her son graduate and her husband deliver the commencement address in the same day. All in all, truly one of the great afternoons that we have ever had as a family. So I figured, why not share it here? And not just because of the familial significance but because I think it'll give you an idea of the mindset that I had when I began my journey in this business and the mindset that I've carried with me throughout my entire career and life. And of course, the mindset that I have right now is I try to make good on my mission of ensuring that the next 25 years of my life are in fact the best 25 years of my life and that my best work and my best life are in front of me and not behind me. I think this is a speech that will resonate with any young person just starting out, and I think it'll resonate for people who have been in the game for a while, whatever that game is, but are stuck or in a rut. Not to give away the entire speech before I roll it, but think, who am I, who do I want to become, and how am I going to get there? So congrats to all our graduating masters and PhD students. Now, I would like to take a minute to introduce our keynote speaker, Jim Rome. Uh, Jim is the host of the Jim Rome Show, one of the nation's most popular sports talk radio shows. Currently boasts over 2.5 million loyal listeners. Uh, Jim's show started in 1990 and gained popularity due to, I'll call it, his unique approach to sports talk radio. In addition to radio, Jim has hosted ESPN show called Jim Rome is Burning and has made cameo appearances in multiple movies, including Two for the Money, The Longest Yard, and Space Jam. Welcome, Jim. Thought I'd make myself at home. Very comfortable already. 
So when he talks about my unique approach, what he's talking about is I talked a lot of shit. <laughs> and it paid. It was really interesting. Listen, first of all, what's cracking, Madtown? What's up? I am absolutely thrilled to be here. Now, I did not attend school here. I went to UC Santa Barbara. However, we have a son who is graduating with you all, Jake Rome. How many of you know Jake Rome? I like it. He already has five times as many friends as I ever did. Jake Rome, Jake Rome's an amazing kid. Could not be more proud of Jake. So when Jake's grown up, Janet and I would have a few cocktails on the weekend, a few drinks, but I never drank during the week, ever. I always had this process. Once I got into the business, I was fully in, locked in. I never, ever drank between Sunday and Thursday. Never got in that habit of having a beer or a glass of wine after work because I worked every single night. Friday and Saturday, I got caught up. So Jake is growing up, and Jake's a great kid, and so is his bro, Logan. And I used to think to myself, man, I can't wait till these kids are old enough. I can't wait till they're old enough so I can have a pop with them. I send Jake to Madison, and after one semester, Jake comes back from Christmas break, and the kid is already a pro's pro. Like, literally, <laughs> I, I had a 40-year head start on Jake cocktailing, and he could already drink me under the table. <laughs> like, that good after one semester. So... Congrats, Jake. You have that going for you. <laughs> but I am actually the reason that Jake Rome is here. And the reason I say that is I, I said to Jake, listen, I'm paying for your college education, but I would never, ever tell you where you have to go to school. However, if you get into Wisconsin, that's where you have to go to school. <laughs> because everybody that I ever met that came to this school, Everybody I ever interviewed on every radio show, every TV show, every platform I've ever had, every coach, every athlete, every GM that went here, loved it here. The next person that I meet that tells me otherwise will be the very first person, and Jake Rome is no different. This was the best decision that Jake ever made. So I said, <laughs> I lied. I'm a hypocrite. You are going to Wisconsin. So what I'm saying to you is I get you. I know you. I get you. I know what this is about. So let me jump right into this. What I want to talk about today is something a little bit different than you might expect. And I want to come at it differently in the sense that this is not something you generally learn in school. I didn't learn this when I went to UC Santa Barbara. I don't think they teach this a lot in schools. I think a lot of the parents out there will understand what I'm saying. But, and, and by the way, some of you are not going to want to hear this. But here it is. Here is the thing that you're not learning in school that you need to know. You need to know, and this is not an original thought, but I, I stand on this shit. I'm here because of this. There are no shortcuts. There are no hacks. There are no magic pills. There are no shortcuts. There are no hacks. There are no magic pills. Now, this is something you need to know if you're going to go out there and you're going to not only thrive, but you're going to survive in the real world. Believe me, I know. I'm going to tell you. I know exactly what I was thinking when I sat in that chair. It was not that long ago. I want to tell you how I got into the business, how I nearly blew it all up, how I got back into the business, was killing the game, and then had one interview, one night on TV that went sideways on me and nearly blew up my entire career, and the entire country was coming for my ass. They hated me, and I went viral before viral was a thing. And then how I fought back, and I came back. And somehow I got to work all this into 15 minutes, so I'm going to do the very best I can. What I want to tell you this is when I was in your... Hey, by the way, you, you want a magic formula? I'll give you a magic formula. Do the work. 
do the work. Do the work. Because you need to be extremely responsible, extreme ownership. I've got news for you. Nobody is going to choose you. Nobody is going to bang on your front door and say, here's a business plan. Here's your radio show. Here is your podcast. You are the chosen one. That's not going to happen. That's not it. Now, the bad news is that's not it. The good news is if you understand that and you apply that and you believe in that and you become obsessed with that, you will win. I know this. You will win because of two things. Not to be the old head in the room, but I'm the old head in the room. People are not willing to pay the price they used to be willing to pay. I know this. I see who's coming through my door. I see who's working with me or for me. People who are younger than me are burning out in a year, two years, or they were never built for it in the first place. There is separation in this. Understand this. You can get leverage on that. So I want to tell you before I say a few stories, I want to tell you exactly what my mindset was when I was your age. I want to tell you exactly what I was thinking when I was your age. I developed a system. It's a system I still use. It's a system that I used when I got off track, and it's the reason why I'm here right now. When I was in college, the things that I thought about were this. And I didn't make this up, but I stumbled upon this. Three phases. And I ran this system my whole life. Three phases. It's very simple, but it's not easy. Number one, who are you? Number two, who do you want to be? Number three, how are you going to get there? And I knew these answers, in part. Who am I? I I was some rando from Southern California. There was nothing distinctive about me. There was nothing unique about me. Not my intellect, not my talent, not my look, not my voice, nothing. I want to be a high-level sportscaster, and I never advanced beyond high school tennis. I never played the game at a high level. There was nothing unique about me. Number two, who did I want to be? I had a slight advantage. I always knew exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a sportscaster, and I was very specific. Not just, I want to be a sportscaster. I wanted to be a national sportscaster. I wanted to be on network TV. I was obsessed with network TV. I wanted to be a national sportscaster. I wanted to be on national radio. That was a small edge. Number three, how am I going to get there? Didn't know the answer to that, but I was asking myself the right questions. And I'm saying, I'm doing all this at your age. I'm doing all this right now. And the questions were, why you? Why you? Not what is my why? You hear that a lot. You better know your why. Why you? U.S. Cellular knows how important your kid's relationship with technology is, and they have made it their mission to help them establish good digital habits early on. That's why they have partnered with Screen Sanity, a nonprofit dedicated to helping kids navigate the digital landscape. And for a smarter start to the school year, U.S. Cellular is also offering a free basic phone on new eligible lines, providing an alternative to a smartphone for kids. Start smarter with with U.S. Cellular. Visit uscellular.com slash built for us to find out more. Restrictions to apply. Visit uscellular.com for terms. Why you and not everybody else in your class? Why you and not everybody else in every other J school class nationally? Why you and not everybody who's in the workforce already who sure as hell is not going to give back what they have? Why you? I didn't know the answer to that but I figured I'd better find the answer to that or I'm never going to make it. I have no choice. You're probably thinking already like, damn, Jake, your dad's a lot. (laughs) Jake's like, right? (laughs) Try growing up with a guy. (laughs) So I'm thinking about this stuff. And, and, And by the way, when I say to you, 
who are you, who do you want to be, and how are you going to get there? What I did was I re-engineered or reverse-engineered my life. I reverse-engineered my life. That's what I did, and it kept coming up over and over again. So something else, I think this might help you if you buy into this, and this is just works for me, but when I was your age and I started to take my classes and I went to the campus radio station and I started to do internships, I realized actually there was some separation. Actually, there was something a little bit different about me. I'm looking around and I picked up on something. And that something that I picked up on was I was borderline psychotic. I was borderline psychotic about making it. And I don't really know what that was. I'm like, I've studied this a long, long time. Almost every high achiever I've ever interviewed, I've asked this question of nature or nurture? Nature or nurture? Was I hardwired for this or was I just a loser in high school? Probably that. Definitely that. Definitely that. Hey, you want your magic formula? Be a loser in high school and develop a giant chip on your shoulder. That, that was my secret. <laughs> but, but what it meant was I realized I was willing to do things that other people were unwilling to do. Notice I was not better, but I was more connected or more committed. I was not better, but I was more committed. As an example, I thought nothing of getting up at four o'clock in the morning to work an internship in downtown Santa Barbara that was unpaid because I wanted to get it in before I took those morning classes that nobody wanted to take because I wanted to get them in before I went to the campus radio station to work in the afternoons, all for free. And not only did I think nothing of it, dude, I was terrified not to do it because I was terrified of falling behind. I had this fear, not, I didn't have FOMO, fear of missing out, I had fear of falling behind, I had FOFP. <laughs> I had FOFPed, like, and, and it was a really insane thing. And again, I didn't know where it came from, but I'll tell you what it did. I, I had this dream, which turned into a mission, which turned into an obsession, and then the obsession led to all these principles and properties for the way that I led my life. Now, you might call bullshit on this, but this is really what was happening. So when I'm going through college, and again, I'm your age, I was so neurotic about the whole thing, I would think to myself, is doing this, is thinking this, is eating this, or is drinking this going to help me, or is it going to make me fall behind? Because I hated the thought of falling behind. Like, he's going to get my internship. So I literally associated pain with all of that. This is not an original concept either, but guys, what do we do? Everything we do is to avoid pain and gain pleasure. I associated pain with falling behind. If it propelled me forward, I did it because I knew I was getting ahead and I was winning. So I had this formula and the formula was working and I had this system and I had the results to show for it. I had seven internships in three years and like I was a kook and didn't have a lot of friends, but people were looking at me. I could feel it. Like I was throwing off this vibe, like he's the one, he's different. He's different. And again, I was not better. I was not better, but I was more committed and I was getting separation in that. So I felt good. Seven internships in three years, working the hell out of my plan, planning the hell out of my work. Man, it's good. Until, as Mike Tyson famously said, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. I wasn't even punched, man. I was jabbed. It wasn't even a haymaker. 
And what happened was I'd worked at this radio station in downtown Santa Barbara for free for nine months. I'm promised a paid job. I don't get that paid job. The person who gets the paid job is maybe one-tenth as qualified as me. So I did what any motivated, ambitious, tough-minded person would do. I quit. <laughs> hey, you know the old saying, when the going gets tough, the tough quit. When, when life gives you lemons, quit. It's not how many times you get knocked down, it's how many times you quit. Not only did I quit, never mind that this was the blood covenant that I signed with myself, never quit. Not only did I quit, I didn't quit the radio station, I quit the life, I quit the business, I quit the career, I quit the whole thing. It was my most important concept and covenant. Never ever quit, never back down, never take a knee, never blink, never quit. One bad thing happens, man, I have a glass jaw. I fold. I am not the mental warrior that I thought I was. And then even worse, not only did I quit, I had this little parlay, little exacta. I parlayed quitting into my second fundamental precept that I said I would never do. I took a shortcut. The reason I quit was because I was playing the victim card like nobody's business. I quit to go into the family business. So I did two things that I said that I would never do. I quit and I took a shortcut, a shortcut to shiny shit. I wanted the nice house on the hill. I wanted the nice cars. I wanted the nice vacations. My family had a family business. They were manufacturers of high-tech garments. They had a factory. Man, I hated that my whole life. But I got this whole thing forked out. I go to my dad. Hey, dad, good news. I'm still a senior in high school or in college. Dad, good news. I'm coming to work for the family business. I decided. He looks at me and he's like, the hell you are. <laughs> Tough Boston guy, my old man. I'm like, what do you mean? It's every dad's dream to have their son follow in their legacy. He's like, not mine, Junior. Not mine. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Man, legacy. I'm your son. He said, listen to me. You never once expressed any interest in this business ever. No, you cannot work here. I'm like, damn. <laughs> but I was a senior in college, so I worked on him. I worked on him. I, like, I had this rap. Like, so I worked on him. I talked him into it. It, predictably, it went horribly. He starts me off the very bottom. I learn his product. I can't sell his product. The old man fires me because, of course, he did. And then he's like, what are you going to do now? I'm like, I'm going to get another sales job. He's like, are you the dumbest guy ever? I fired you because you can't sell. And because I thought I was the smartest guy ever. I mean, like, I knew I was not bright, but if he said one thing, I thought the opposite. I'm like, no, no, I can't sell your crap. I'm going to find something I can sell. He's like, great. So I try selling dictation equipment. 29 days I do that. I quit again. So the one thing, the blood covenant that I had with myself that I would never do, quit, I've done it twice now in a few months. Like, I am damn good at quitting, yo. I, kids, habitual construction, construct good habits. Quitting is not a good habit. I'm becoming like a Hall of Famer at quitting. So I quit that job, and then I get a third job, this time selling telephone systems. A couple months into that job, my boss says to me, you suck at this job. <laughs> and I'm like, really? Tell me something I don't already know. I suck at everything. I suck at life. And she looks at me, and she says, you want to know something? You should get back into radio. That's all you ever talk about anyway. And then I had this seminal moment. I had a seminal moment. I've got a podcast right now called The Reinvention Project with Jim Rome. It's about reinvention, inspiration, personal development. It applies to people my age. It applies to people your age. 
It's a quick shill, by the way. It, it applies to high school kids who listen to it. So I had this reinvention project long before I ever had the reinvention project. So I have this seminal moment, and again, I revert back to my process. Who are you? Who do you want to be? How are you going to get there? Who am I? The worst salesperson in the country and the most miserable person in the country. Number two, who do you want to be? I still want to be that sportscaster. Number three, how are you going to get there? I have no idea, but I know this. I have to get back on path. I have to get realigned. I'm so jacked up. I'm so out of alignment. Man, everything is going wrong. I have to find a way back in somehow, some way. I get on the phone, and I call this guy that I worked for in Santa Barbara when I was in college. It's like the Doug McLeod of Santa Barbara. <laughs> that guy. I say, John, Jim Rome. He's like, Rome, how you doing, bud? I'm like, well, it being on the, ber- the verge of a nervous breakdown is good, then I'm awesome. He's like, what's going on? I lay it all out for him. I'm like, do you have any work? Do you have any work at all? Anything? He's like, it's your lucky day, Rome. Here's what I got for you. We have a college student. He does our traffic reports. This was a news talk, a news talk station. He does our traffic reports. He's going back for Christmas break. He's going to be there for one month. You can work for us 30 hours a week, $5 an hour, no benefits, one month. The kid gets his job when he comes back. I said, I'll take it. And I hang up the phone. I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> he goes, I'll see you in two weeks. I call my dad up. I'm like, tell him the plan. He's like, how are you going to live on $150 a week in Santa Barbara? I said, you know what, Pop? I have no idea. I have no idea. I just know that I am dying here. I am bleeding out here. I have no purpose here. I am going to go back up there, and I'm going to figure out how I'm going to do it. So with that, I head up to Santa Barbara. I pack the car up there, about to make $5 an hour. $5 an hour? I don't even think. Maybe that was minimum wage. The only time I made money like that was when I was a sophomore in high school at In-N-Out Burger in Los Angeles, making three thirty-five, another job that I sucked at. And you know what the worst part about that is? I wanted to be dominant at In-N-Out Burger, and I still sucked. Hey, th- those double-doubles do not go into those little wrappers as easy as you think they do. So I get up there, and I start doing the traffic reports. And I'm treating every single report like it's the most important content ever, because it was. I'm treating every single report like it's an audition for life, because it was. And then after 30 days, the kid does not get his job back. They let me stay. And now I've got that job. I parlay that into a couple of other gigs and then a full-time gig. And now I'm back in it. I'm back in it. I'm realigned and I'm happy and I'm full-time. I'm making just enough to cover my rent. But I'm working 80 hours a week and I've got an ulcer at 25 because all I do is drink coffee and work. But the ulcer that was burning a hole in my stomach felt so much better than me being in bed on Sunday nights, staring up at the ceiling terrified of going back out to the property, the territory to sell things that I couldn't sell knowing there was a zero on my grease board. Are there any salespeople out there that know this life? I'm talking about prospecting in crappy territories for a product that you not believe in where you have no ability. I was not going back to that life. I was not going back to that life. So now I'm in it and it's working. So then I have my next dream, my next obsession, that whole type A thing. There was a radio station in San Diego, 690 AM, a 50,000-watt blowtorch, one of the most powerful stations in the entire country. I lived in Santa Barbara. The station was in San Diego. The signal blew all the way up the coast through Santa Barbara to San Francisco, and at night, you could hear it in different states. Half sports talk, half news talk. And I get it in my head, like, this is my dream. I'm going to work at this radio station. It's all I think about. It's all I talk about. You get a common theme here? Like, I'm obsessed with all these things. It's like they're running my mind. They understand what's happening here. I, I'm rewiring my brain. 
I'm rewiring my mind and I'm programming myself for success and it's working. So I lock in on the station and it's all I talk about. Like people in Santa Barbara are like, dude, enough. Stop talking about that radio station. But I want to talk it into existence. I want to manifest that bleep. I want this so badly. I want this thing more than I've ever wanted anything in my life except to be Jake Rome's dad <laughs> and Logan's dad and Janet's wife, her husband. Do you see how quickly she corrected me? Husband. I didn't, I didn't know y'all at that time. But, but here's the thing. Not only did I want it and speak it into existence and visualize it, I backed it with massive action. Massive action. I sent them resumes. I sent them demo tapes. I sent them portfolios. I, I got on the phone with everybody I could meet. All I cared about was getting a job at this radio station. It's all I could think about. I even used one of my lame sales tricks. Like I was really bad at sales, but I read every sales book ever written. I, I saw in the newspaper that they hired a new general manager. I call her up. I'm like, hi, Judy. My name is Jim Rome. I know you don't know who I am, but I'm going to be in your neighborhood at the end of this month. Lie. I was, no way was I going to be in her neighborhood. I'm going to be in your neighborhood at the end of this month. Yeah, I have a few ideas I think would really benefit your company. Would you mind me sharing them with you? She's like, didn't I just read about you in Sports Illustrated? I'm like, yes. Yes, you did. She's like, come on in. I have a car that I can't even make it down the block with. I rent a car to be in a town that I was not supposed to be in this town, and I drive down there, and I meet with her. I'm telling you, I was a kook. I was a kook. So then finally, the news director of this radio station calls me up one day, and he says, here's the deal. You come down here, and you try out for one week. We will try you out on air for one week. He said, I've been trying to get this job now for more than two years. We'll try you out for one week. You get the job, you stay. You don't get the job, you never contact us ever again. You're annoying as hell. Leave us alone. I'm like, you got it, chief. Let's do this. I go down there and I grind this thing out every day for a week. And I, I slink back to this scummy, sleazy motel next door to the station. And I'm stress eating Oreos and drinking cores at night to take the edge off. And I'm calling on my friends and family. How do I sound? How do I sound? They're like, dude. You're reading really fast, man. You need to slow down. You know, kind of like I'm talking right now. Chill out. A few weeks, so I do the week. I come back to Santa Barbara. A couple months later, this guy calls me up and he says, son, welcome to the big leagues. I got chills, man. It was like the greatest call I'd ever gotten in my life because I thought, did nothing and thought about nothing but getting a job at this radio station. So I go down there and here's the amazing thing. Now, I'm talking to you a lot about gumption and toughness and mindset and never giving in, but all along, I was developing the format. All along, I was thinking about a show. When I grew up, I would listen to the radio and thought, I don't like that. That's not entertaining. That's not compelling. That's boring. That's just some dude with some big radio voice answering questions. If I ever get a show, I'm going to do a show this way. So then I start in a smaller market where I'm like kind of off Broadway and I'm trying different things and I've got this show. So by the time I got the gig in San Diego, I'd had a lot of time to kind of work this out. Like I wasn't a, a polished product, but I had had a lot of reps and a lot of thoughts. So I get to San Diego and keep in mind, 50,000 watts. They're hearing it through the entire state of California and in other states. And I crack open the mic, man, and I let it rip. I let it rip. I go hard. I'm aggressive. And it hit, and it hit fast. They moved me to a talk show at night. Nothing rates at night, nothing. I had the highest ratings on the station, the entire station. Like they were looking at the numbers like, these can't be right, these can't be right. They moved me to a day part during the day. People were like, dude, his shit will never work during the day. 
I'm killing it during the day. ESPN2 becomes a thing, a network. They find me in California. They base the whole thing out of Bristol. They give me a one-hour talk show. And my case in point, again, I'm talking about the things. You build your mind as you build your brand, but I was working on the brand the whole time. So when I got there and I tried it, it hit. And now all of a sudden I've got a four-hour radio show, a one-hour nightly TV show daily, and I'm doing both these things. And the whole thing is surreal. Like, oh, my God, it happened. It happened. And not to be a jerk about it, part of it wasn't surreal because I visualized the whole thing all those years. And not only did I visualize it, I backed it with work every single day, every single night. I never took weekends off. So when it happened, it felt kind of normal. So now I'm living the dream and it's happening. I'm getting paid. I'm getting promoted. I've got these two shows. And then life punches me in the face again, or in this case, rolled a table on me. It, the, your parents know this story. Some of, you, some of you may know this story, but one night on live television, I got into an altercation with a quarterback in the NFL who is six foot five. Rome is not six foot five. So the long and the short of it is what happened was I called it Jim Everett Chris. This is not funny. This is not flattering. This is not cool. There's nothing good about this. And I want to say something to you all. Extreme accountability, man. Own everything. Own everything. I own that that was not a good night. That was not one of my better nights at all. But I also want to say this. He knew. I I haven't talked a lot about this publicly over the years. And by the way, he and I never spoke ever again. That's a weird thing. This is further evidence that it was not a setup. I did not do this for ratings. People think that. You did that for ratings. It made you a household name. Yeah, but I didn't want to be a household name because of that. I wanted to be known for other things. Doing good work. Being smart. Doing good interviews. It was not a setup. We went to this guy before the interview and said, just so you know, Rome calls you Chris. He goes, oh, I know. I know. He's not going to not say to your face what he has said about you on the radio. Know this. But he's just going to say it at the top, and then he's going to move right through it. This is not what the interview is about. He will do it. But this is not what the interview is about. Your story is interesting. We are well prepped. We want to have the conversation. And understand, this show was 60 minutes on air, but about 42 minutes running length minus the commercials, it was probably 30 minutes every night in interviews alone. So if somebody came in and they were really compelling, it was a good night. If somebody came in and they didn't want to be there and didn't want to talk, it was a bad night. This was the worst night. <laughs> but he, he's, he says, I know. I know who Rome is. I know what this show is. I know what I'm signing up for. I'm like, good, let's do this. We fire up the cameras. We're live on TV. I call him Chris. I call him Chris again. He looks at me and he goes, I bet you don't do that again. I go, I bet I do. Bam. Table rolls, coffee everywhere. We get up F-bombing each other. And in that moment, I did not know how bad it was going to be. I did not know what was going to happen. I found out very quickly. Local media, not long after, congregating outside, sticking cameras and mics in my face. Like, it spread like wildfire. And let's just say he won that day and I lost. And I didn't know how bad it was. And then I found out pretty quickly. Let me tell you something. The nightly talk shows had an absolute field day. Saturday Night Live roasted me. When Janet and I went out for our first few dinners afterwards, I was getting a really bad vibe from everybody. Like, this did not go well at all. And you realize in moments like that, when you hit rock bottom, you find out who your friends are. You find out how many friends you have. Five, I think. Or three. Or one. Janet. 
And, you find, and then you find out how many enemies you have, millions. Like, everybody who could turn that into content did. Anybody who could get any kind of benefit from that did. Hey, and by the way, if you don't know what I'm talking about, Google this. It's wild. <laughs> and all the haters, people who hated me already, weaponized it. They were all coming. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, holy crap. Like, I could get fired from both these jobs. My career could end this week. And why do I think that? I go to the front doorstep. I open up the LA Times sports page, a sports page I grew up on. I went, do you know what newspapers are, y'all? Have <laughs> you ever heard of a newspaper? It used to be a thing. It used to be a thing. But this newspaper, a sports page I grew up on, has got this whole column on fall of the Roman Empire. Is this the end of Jim Rome? I'm like, I didn't even know I was important enough to get an editorial about. But there's all this speculation, like, dude's done. I hung that thing on my mirror where I could see it every single morning when I shaved, and I used it as fuel. But I was concerned, you know? Like, they're talking about me getting fired. So quickly, I go to the radio station to do my show the next day. I'm thinking, you know what? The guy's on the station. They'll probably have my back. <laughs> and these dudes hated my guts already because I got there and I blew by them. They already hated me. So they took my worst day ever and it became their best day ever because it made for their best shows ever. They spent four hours killing me every one of the shows. By the time I get on the air, I'm not gonna say that I was shook, but I wasn't exactly the height of confidence. I grind out my show and here's the thing. When you hit rock bottom, I don't know this way my mind works, I don't think about all the hate. I don't think about all the negativity. I think about the few positives. I think about what kept me going. I get on the air, and at the end of that show, the owner of that radio station, who also was the CEO of the corporation that owned that radio station, calls me up. His name is John Lynch. John Lynch was a legend. We worshipped him. John Lynch was larger than life. His son, John Lynch, was the NFLer, who was the general manager of the 49ers. John Lynch calls, the air, calls me on air for everybody to hear and says, Jim, just so you know, you're not getting fired. You're not getting fired. Your job is safe. I'm not going to fire you. I don't really like what I'm hearing on this radio station, by the way. And I think, kind of think that quarterback had a little something for you that night. But you're good. I don't know what the TV guys are going to do with you, but you're good here. I needed that so badly. I was drowning. I needed that. 30 years later, I never forgot. And I, dude, I was toxic. People hated my guts. Big man who signed my check said, you're good. I got you. 30 years later, I never forgot it, and I know for a fact I do not stand before you right now without him having my back. I go to the TV side. Understand that there are high-level athletes at this point in the newspapers and on the news saying, I hate that guy. I hate Rome. I will never do his show. I will never do that show. It's an interview show. If none of them want to do the show, I have no show. This is a concern. I look at the board. Who's booked? I see Al Michaels. Al Michaels, legend. Al Michaels, an idol of mine. Al Michaels, one of the greatest sportscasters who ever lived. I'm like, he's coming down. There's no way he's going to stay on that board. And I show up that night, and he's there for the interview. This is maybe a night or two after, when it's super toxic, super hot. He does the interview. It's an amazing interview. A few days later, I find him off the air. I'm like, Al, why did you do that? Why did you do that? You didn't have to do that. He's like, quote, Romy, you're a friend. I know you needed a friend that night. I know you needed that badly. That's why I was there for you. And I'm thinking to myself, he's Al freaking Michaels. He got nothing out of that except hate, except pushback, and he didn't care. He knew I was drowning. He did it. 30 years later, I never forgot that. That meant the world to me. One more person, and I think you can relate to this. I met a kid when I got that job. They gave me a staff at ESPN. This kid was a production assistant. He was 23. Smartest kid I ever met. 
literally. And I called my agent up and I said, you know, I met this kid. He's a PA on the show. He's not even a producer or an AP. I go, he's going to run ESPN one day. I know it. And my agent said, I'll never forget this. You're going to meet a lot of people like that on the way up. I'm like, no, you don't understand. This dude is different. This dude is the chosen one. So he's flying up the ladder. And I already know. I already know that although he works for me, he's a superstar. He's going to blow by me. He's going to be much bigger than I could ever be. And when Everett came over the table and all hell broke loose and it looked like my career was on like thin ice, this kid had my back. He stayed with me. He fought with me. He fought. He defended me every single day. People were coming for me. And this kid, Mark Shapiro was his name, was really important. So I remember these three people and Jano, who stood by me the whole time. I leave ESPN. I go to Fox Sports Net. I do a show for five years. And then I get a phone call. It's Mark Shapiro, who, as predicted, is running ESPN. He says, Jimmy, it's time to come home. I said, I'm sorry? He said, Jimmy, it's time to come home. Come home. We go to a dinner. My agent, him, they negotiate the deal on a napkin. And Mark Shapiro is the guy behind Jim Rome is Burning, the talk show that I was known for quite a bit for on ESPN. He not only was loyal to me, he brought me back. He not only brought me back, he brought me back over the objection of, I found this out later, there were literally executives there going, if you bring Rome back, I'll quit. I mean, am I that bad of a guy? <laughs> you bring him back, I'll quit. Shapiro didn't care. He brought me back. You need people like that. It doesn't matter how motivated I was, how disciplined I was. When I hit rock bottom, I needed people to believe in me and prop me up, and I would not be here if not for them. So my message to you is, yeah, th yes, the bottom line. I'm talking to you a lot about the intangibles, man. You better be tough. You better work on your mind as you work on your craft on the way up. Now, I got to be honest. There are two things. I got into the business at the best time ever. I had the most fortuitous timing ever. That was definitely beneficial to me. Also, I don't know if this is right or wrong, but I've been kind of partly sort of credited with helping to shape the genre because I came at it in such a different way. That, of course, helped me. I was different. It, by the way, think of things that they can't find anyplace else. Think of content that they can't get anywhere else. Find a way to make yourself indispensable now more than ever. Be different. Be different. And those things helped me but I would have never been in position for these things had I not set up a process and a program. And when I stayed true to it, I won. And when I deviated, I got my ass kicked. Remember, the universe favors the bold. The universe does not favor punk asses. And I was a punk ass when I quit. Don't ever quit. And one more thing, as you go out there right now, because a lot of you are probably like, hey, man, I got this especially if Rome can do it. I know I can do it. And true, true. Remember this. It is a war of attrition. When I came up and I looked around the classroom, I knew there were people smarter than me. I knew there were people more intelligent than me. I knew there were people who deserved it more than me on skill alone. But what happens is they see their friends. They're in Wall Street. They have other high-paid jobs. They're moving on, and then the pressure kicks in. And then you convince yourself it's not meant to be. It was a pipe dream, and you give in to the peer pressure. I know that there are people looking at me who are saying, should have been me, should have been me. I was better than that guy, to which I would respond, you're right. It should have been you, but I didn't give in. I stayed in the fight. I got out, but luckily I found my way back in. So my message to you, although I ad-lib most of this, I want to look at my notes because I want you to hear this. 
on your way up. Work on your mind as much as you work on your craft. Work on your mind as much as you work on your craft. There's separation in that. Remember, I wasn't better. I was more committed. I was more willing to pay the price. And be relentless. Make relentlessness a part of your identity. And again, listen, if you think I'm a lot and you don't care that much, cool. Cool. But do not tell me how badly you want it and not pay this price. Because this is the price you have to pay. Make relentlessness a part of your identity. And finally... Know who you are, know who you want to be, know how you're going to get there, reverse engineer your life. And my last thought, create a standard. Create your standard. The standard is the standard. Standard over feelings. It doesn't matter how you feel, ever, ever. Do the work. Do what you know have to do, what you know you have to do. Nobody gives a damn how you feel. It does not matter how you feel. The standard is the standard. Feelings don't matter. So, Badger Mafia, if I can do it, believe me, I'm guessing essentially everybody in this room is as smart or smarter than me. My two kids are. Jake's got that grind. Logs, we'll see. Logs will marry Rich. (laughs) Thanks, Pop. You're welcome, Logs. Now, what I'm saying to you is go get yours. I'm pulling for all of you. Don't get caught up in anything as possible. Yeah, it is if you commit and you lock in and you know the process and you don't back down. And again, if you're thinking, man, this dude is a lot, I am, but it worked for me and I think it can work for you. Go get yours on Wisconsin. So to summarize, long before I had ever heard the phrase, I figured out the importance of reverse engineering my life. And that was one of the earliest forms of separation that I had. Once again, I really was not distinguishable from anybody else in any other way other than I was truly self-aware, extremely focused. I knew who I was. I knew who I wanted to become. And I was determined as hell to figure it all out. And ironically... Or maybe not so ironically, more than three decades later, I am asking myself the same exact three questions. Who am I? Who do I want to become? And how am I going to get there? In other words, I am reverse engineering the next phase of my life. And just as I was then, I am obsessed with figuring it out and attacking it with a missionary zeal every damn day. Oh, And as many of you already know, you do not get the order unless you ask for the order. So if you would like to consider me coming in to speak to your company, either in person or even virtually, reach out to my guy, Craig Kitchen at Craig, that's K-R-A-I-G, K-R-A-I-G at soundmindllc.com, Craig at soundmindllc.com or If you're just good listening and maybe sharing this pod, that is absolutely awesome as well. And if you would, can you do me a solid? Can you hit the subscribe button if you haven't already and leave a review as well? I appreciate all of it so much. And I will see you next time right here on The Reinvention Project with Jim Rome.
Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games.